Very cliche, I know, but the reason for the season is the subject of our time today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. And again, greetings. Welcome to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Today, as we move into the celebration of Christmas and the Christmas season, we're focusing in on Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate the birth of a baby and this baby that was laid in a manger? Well, It's found here in Luke 19, and that's what we're looking at today. Won't you join us? From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor now with a look at Luke 19. Once again, Pastor Steve Converse. You're going to totally understand who I am in a little bit. See, what was determined in eternity past, what was determined in the counsel of God before anything was created, is about to come into reality for Zacchaeus. Hurry up and come down here because I'm going to stay at your house. Now, he didn't whisper it. Remember, there's all these people around. I'm sure he had to shout it. Right? He's like, Zacchaeus, come on, come to your house. No. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I got to stay at your house today. Bold statement to make. He said it publicly. What was that? That was just blew the minds of those, even those who were following Jesus. They probably thought, wait a minute, I don't think Jesus knows who this guy is. I mean, he's the chief tax collector. Everybody hates this guy. Why is he going to his house? That doesn't make any sense. This isn't going to work out for the PR of the, of the campaign here, Jesus. You know, you can't hang around with people like this. This isn't going to make you look good. If they thought he was the Messiah... If they thought he was a man of God, if they thought that he was a prophet of God, if they thought that somehow Jesus was holy and righteous, if they had any thinking at all along that line, they would have been shocked when Jesus made this statement. Not only did he go to the house, but he actually ate a meal. That's kind of implied. You come over, you're going to have, you're going to have a, a meal. And it was, may have even, some language scholars say it may have been an overnight stay. It wasn't like I'm just going to pop in, you know, like the politicians do. They pop into some business and, you know, eat a donut or whatever and get a picture and, you know, act like they're part of the common folk. And then they go back to their caviar and whatever they eat. But, you know, that, that's not the way Jesus did it. No, he, he went to Zacchaeus' house and he, he probably spent the night there. And they were stunned when he said he was going to do this. And it says in verse 6, So he hurried, Zacchaeus did, and came down and received him joyfully. Sure. Think about it. Nobody else would. (laughs) Everybody hated this guy. And all of a sudden, the Lord of Lords comes. And Zacchaeus is just there kind of, in his mind, probably like just checking things out. And all of a sudden, the parade stops. Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus is probably like, yeah, all right. (laughs) You know, he gets down. And the little guy, you know, he's probably got his chest pumped out. Yeah, come on, Jesus. You're coming to my house. Look who's coming to my house. See? Some people said that Zacchaeus came just because he was curious. No. I think he had some sort of supernatural 
interest in who Jesus was that maybe he didn't even get. He responds with joy because he's got some things going on in his heart. Why? Because God's working on his heart. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, God chose Zacchaeus to be one of his children. And now is the day of salvation. He's isolated. He's alienated. He has no relationships with anybody. And here, the king of kings, the lord of lords, is inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house to spend the night. I'm sure he begins to feel the weight, maybe, of some of the things that he had done as a tax collector. I bet you God, through his spirit, began to convict Zacchaeus' heart. I mean, he can't go to worship. He can't go to the temple. He can't have an offering offered for him, for his sin that he knew. I mean, that was common of these kind of folks. Even the publican, when Jesus dealt with the, the story of the Pharisee and the publican, you remember, the publican goes to the temple and says, God, please apply this atonement to me. Because he wasn't allowed in there. They were outcasts. So here is Zacchaeus. He's ready. He's willing. He's saying, hey, yeah, you can come over for dinner. Spend the night. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Who? The crowd. The people that were following Jesus. The self-righteous religious folks of Jesus' day. They weren't grumbling because they weren't. Jesus wasn't coming to their house necessarily. They were grumbling because he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, sometimes we have to remind ourselves from where we have come, beloved. Because you know what? We can get that same attitude in our heart. We can get that same attitude about those who are lost and sinners out in the world. Oh, those dirty, filthy people. Keep them away from me. They smell. They say bad words. They don't act in a way that's honoring to God. And we so many times look upon them with condemnation, judgment. And yet, Jesus and the Bible tells us, you know what, that's where we came from. Except by the grace of God. That's where we were at. And you know what, the Pharisees in the crowd probably fermented this whole thing. They probably, look at what he's doing now, look at what your guy's doing now. Because they didn't like Jesus anyway. Although Zacchaeus here was a true sinner, it's not really speaking of that, it's speaking of the category of, of society that he belonged to, a tax collector. He hung around with Satan's people. <laughs> he hung around with people who didn't go to temple. He hung around with thugs. So when they saw Jesus embrace this sinner, verse 7 says they began to grumble. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm coming. (laughs) Well, look at what happens. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. He took a stand. Zacchaeus took a stand. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, remember in the original language that word if can also be translated since (laughs) and that's really the idea here he's not posing a question well I don't know if I ripped anybody off or no no he's saying I ripped off lots of people Lord and because of that I'm going to restore it fourfold which was a lot more than what he needed to do according to the law 
I mean, here is this man, beloved, who's a professional thief. He's an extortionist. Now he becomes an instant philanthropist. (laughs) You've got a man who's spent his whole life taking money from his brothers. You've got a man who's defined by selfishness. Now he's acting absolutely in an unselfish way. He's took his whole life. Now he wants to give. What happened? The Lord transformed this man. We don't know where it happened. We don't know how it happened. We're not told what Jesus told him. The word of God doesn't contain that. I think it doesn't contain that because you know what we would do? We would just take that and turn it into another formula. (laughs) Oh, here's how you have to do it. Isn't it interesting when the Lord encounters people when they get saved, the part of the conversation where Jesus is actually relating to them their need of salvation and their saying, yes, I want to be saved, is kind of left out. We don't have the words Jesus said. Well, let me tell you, four, four basic principles, you know. God loves you and has a wonderful... No, we're not told any of that. We're not told that Jesus, at the end of the little conversation, after he explained who he was and why he came and, and talked about his, Zacchaeus' need for repentance, and that Jesus, even though he hadn't done it yet, was going to pay the price for his sin, and that he needed to put his faith and trust in him for salvation, in him alone, if he wanted the horrendous guilt of all the stuff that he had done wrong to go away and to be forgiven. We're not told how Jesus related that to him. But obviously he did. We know that Jesus had conversations about repentance, about the kingdom, about salvation, about eternal life. It's interesting that he's here to seek out Zacchaeus. And yet Zacchaeus thought he was seeking out Jesus. That's how it happens, isn't it? Jesus is always seeking us out He always is desiring those whom he has, before the foundation of the world, chosen to be his. He comes and he transforms their lives, it says. Jesus knows when the salvation comes. We we might not always know. Some people say, would you know the day and hour and second you were saved? Well, some people do, some people don't. See, the key point is, have you seen a change in your life? Is there a real transformation? Because if there's not a real transformation, if you're just playing church every week and you're just kind of trying to hold yourself up by your bootstraps, that's not salvation. That's religiosity. That's self-righteousness. That's not going to pass muster in the end. And so he has his transformation. He says, you know what? I'm going to make it right in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And you notice that he has stood and he said... To the Lord, behold, Lord. He didn't say, hey, Jesus. No, he he called him Lord. And I think he fully understood what it meant when he said it. Because God had quickened his heart to understand what it meant. When you call Jesus Lord, it, it doesn't mean anything other than you're not Lord anymore. You've given that right over to him. That you're willing to bow at his feet. You're willing to do what he says. It's not your plan anymore. It's not your agenda. It's not about me. It's not about my plans. It's about understanding that we are in subjection to Christ. So we see that salvation truly has come to this house. And verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. First thing I see here quickly, and this is in your outline, we have the most magnificent historical fact that the Son of Man came. Jesus has come to earth. The Almighty God has entered our world. The infinite 
has become finite. The eternal has evaded time. And the incarnation is God in human flesh. We sing the the song Emmanuel, God with us. See, his birth differs from every other birth that he voluntarily came in obedience to the Father's will. He voluntarily did this. I don't know about you, but when I was born, I had no choice in the matter. I was born in Williamsport, Pennsylvania in 1960, May 25th, to James and Dorothy Converse, who had already a slew of children, eight other children. But you know what? I didn't have any say in it. I didn't say, oh good, I was born last, or well, I wanted to be born first. I had no say in it. I'm here by the choice of my parents. But see, Jesus came according to the plan of God. Galatians 4.4 says, When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son. Every detail was minutely planned in the courts of heaven. Nothing happened by chance. He came from light into darkness. He came from splendor into squalor. He came from purity into a world filled with sin. But you know what? He still came. And not just any man has come. It says the Son of Man has come. Not some angel, not some extraterrestrial ET being or something like that. The term the Son of Man emphasizes is Jesus' humanity. He came as a man. He entered the human race in the form of a tiny little baby. He's the Son of Man because he was first the Son of God. In John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled. His tent of flesh, he put it down here among us. C.S. Lewis put this doctrine in proper perspective this way. He says, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from it. Without the incarnation, you don't have anything, beloved. I mean, sometimes we focus on other things. How did Jesus turn the water into wine? How did he heal the people? How did he do this? How did he walk on water? And sometimes that becomes a distraction from the central truth that we believe that God became man. That's the central truth of our faith. Without that, we don't have a faith. See, that's the point at which we part company with Islam. That's the part, the point that we part company with Judaism. That we believe God could become man and he did so in the form of Jesus Christ. For us Christians, it's impossible to speak about God without speaking about Jesus. Why? Because God became man. Every other miracle leads to the incarnation or results from it. The heart of our faith is a central truth. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus. Now, secondly, you see here that we also have the most spiritually significant mission. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save. You know, Jesus came looking for something, or should I say someone? What's our Lord like? He's like the woman in the Gospels who lost the coin and searched her house until she found it. Uh, He's like the man who lost one sheep and went out into the wilderness to find it. He's like the father who welcomed home his prodigal son. He came seeking sinners, even a sinner up a tree. (laughs) Jesus came seeking those caught in adultery. He came seeking blind beggars. He came seeking lepers, wild men living in the tombs. He came seeking all of them. He even came seeking self-righteous Pharisees who thought they didn't need him. He came seeking fishermen and politicians and radicals and physicians and tax collectors and rich men at the top of the heap and poor folks who were totally at the bottom. He sought out prostitutes and drunkards. And you know what? They loved him for it. And when he was dying, beloved, when he was dying his own death on a cruel cross, he came seeking one hanging 
on the cross beside him. Jesus came as a seeking Savior. Third thing here, we have the most perfect description of the state of humanity. It says here in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? What was lost? That describes us. That describes all of humanity. The word lost almost isn't even used in Christian circles anymore. We talk about being estranged from God or being confused about our purpose in life or needing a new beginning. It's hard to improve on this simple word. If someone is not in Christ, what are they? They're lost. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to pick up the daily daily paper or magazine and realize that men are lost. There's sin all around us. What does it mean to be lost? I remember one time we were hiking. I was young in the woods and we got lost. Me and my friend. And at first we kind of thought, well, we're familiar. We'll get and it started to get dark. And we were lost. I mean, we literally just got discombobulated. We, we didn't know where we were going. And it wasn't for after the darkness we saw the light of the city. We, we would have been out there for days, I think. If you've ever been lost, you know that gut feeling. Or if you've ever lost anyone. I thought I lost my grandkids a couple times. And boy, my heart just stops when you're out doing something, you know. The Bible says that in Isaiah 53, 6, we all have strayed like sheep. Each one of us has gone our own way. We're all nature. We go our own way. We don't like to go with the crowd. We don't like to go follow what the Lord wants. We want to do our own thing. There's an important principle to consider here. If Christ did not come to us, listen, if Christ did not come to us, we would have never come to him, ever. If we say, seek the Lord... Let us also recall that by nature no one truly seeks the Lord. Romans 3.11 Harry Ironside tells the story of a newly converted brother who gave his testimony at a Wednesday night Bible study. And the new convert gave this great story and testimony and glory to God for his salvation. And after the meeting, an older gentleman, wiser brother supposedly, took the young man aside and said, You know what? That was an excellent testimony, but you left one thing out. He said, What's that? He said, you left out your part in salvation. The new convert thought for a moment, and then he replied this, my part in salvation was to run from God as fast as I could, and the Lord's part was to run after me, find me, and save me. We don't have any part in our salvation. We were lost until Jesus found us. Sometimes we encourage sinners to come to Christ, which is entirely biblical, by the way. But if Jesus does not first come to us, we would never come to him. That's what it means to be truly lost, lost without God, lost without hope, lost in the tangled web of sin, lost and trapped forever with an eternity in hell waiting. If you neglect the truth that you know to be true about Jesus, the Bible says that you will be condemned in hell forever. And that verse, verse 10, tells us very clearly, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, because of that, what's this mean? If Christ came, man's responsibilities increased. See, in the spiritual realm, the greater privilege requires a greater responsibility. Luke 12, 48 says, "To To whom much is given, from him much will be required. If Jesus had never come to earth, we would all go to hell condemned by our own guilty conscience. If God did nothing, the whole human race would perish. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But that's not the situation. Because Jesus has come to earth and he has made God plain to us. He left his heaven, his home, to come down and to live among us. In him, in Jesus, we see God's love 
his mercy, his kindness, his justice, his holiness. He came to show us the grace and the truth. And what did we do to him? We crucified him. After seeing his words and his miracles and listening to his voice, they considered his offer and they put him to death. They crucified the Lord of glory. We know all about Jesus because we've heard the story over and over ad nauseum. What will happen to us if we know about Jesus and still refuse him? What will be our end if, having heard the truth, we yet neglect it? The scriptural answer is simple. If we neglect Jesus after we know the truth, we will be condemned to hell forever. Here's a frightening fact, and it's a statement to be true. The same gospel that saves a man will also condemn him. The very same gospel. You look at the sun in the sky. To one planet brings life, to the other it brings death. Secondly, if Jesus came to save, then the sinner is without excuse. What excuse could you give that would satisfy God? Oh, I didn't feel like trusting. I didn't understand. I didn't know. There's no excuse. We've all seen the verse at ball games. We've all seen it on TV and everywhere else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We love that verse, but we fail to go to verse 18 where it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He's condemned already. That's the state of the whole human race. They're condemned. Sometimes we like to refer, Oh, yeah, he's a good guy. No, he's not. The sinner, just like you and I are sinners. Sin has infected your mind, your emotions, your will, your intellect, your moral reasoning, your decision-making, your words, and your deeds. No part of your life is exempt from the debilitating factor of and effects of sin. Someone said this, if sin were blue, we'd be blue all over. (laughs) You might be different shades of blue, but you're all sinful. We all are. That's why sinners need salvation. They don't need reformation. They need forgiveness. They don't need lectures on morality. They need a new life, not a new leaf. What sinners need, Jesus came to provide. Think of that hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if Jesus came to save the lost, last point will close, the worst may be saved. You know what? To be real frank and to be real transparent and to be real honest, we all have a thousand skeletons rattling around in our closets. Going to church in and of itself is not enough to keep a man or a woman from grievous sin. You never know what sin you may commit or might not commit. Don't ever feel confident in your ability to smite sin. Because the moment you feel confident, beloved, that's when sin has you. And it reaches out and it bites you. Things are rarely what they seem to be. I mean, you look around the room, it looks like a wonderful group of folks. But you know what? If God could somehow reveal what's in our heart at times, we would be shamed beyond belief. That's just being honest. Luke 19.10 puts no limits on the grace of God, beloved. Corey Tenboom said this, There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. You may come to church without Jesus, but you don't have to leave here without him. You may have come filled with guilt, but you can go home forgiven. 
You may walk through these doors feeling dirty and burdened by your sin. You can go home feeling clean and cleansed by his sacrifice. That's the true power of the gospel. God has more grace in his heart, beloved, than you have sin in your life. Or to put it another way, Jesus is a better savior than you are a sinner. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And then mark it on your calendar and join us for a Christmas Eve family candlelight communion service between 6 and 7 p.m. That's Christmas Eve services here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.